Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be examining the readings for the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time. That's September 27th, 2020. Being busy for the Lord uh, may appear to be holy to ourselves and to others, but we are not really called to busyness. We're called to obedience. And this can be very difficult for us, particularly if what we see the Lord asking us to do seems unfair, unnecessary, inconvenient, or beneath us. God has a purpose for everything, even the most ridiculous sounding thing he asks us to do. Our true measure of our holiness is our willingness to carry out what God asks us to do. We're going to look at the first reading here to begin with, and that first reading is from the book of his prophet Ezekiel, and it's Ezekiel 18, 25 to 28. Thus says the Lord, you say, the Lord's way is not fair. Now, I, I look at that and I think, hmm, that sounds an awful lot like a child. It's, Dad, you're being so unfair. And maybe I am, but that's not really what God does. From our vantage point, it seems unfair. And we can look at that. And when I look at Scripture, I see some places where verse string of verses is repeated, uh, more or less. And I, I then I so I'm going to look at Ezekiel 33:17 to 20. It says, "But the members of this nation say, what the Lord does is unjust. But is it what you do that is unjust? When an upright person gives up being upright and does wrong, he dies for it. And when a wicked person gives up being wicked and does what is lawful and upright, because of this he lives. But you say, what the Lord does is unjust." I shall judge you, each of you, by what you do, house of Israel. So we think to think that we look from our own perspective of what's going on. And God goes on here and it says, Here now, house of Israel, is it my way that is unfair? Or rather, are not your ways unfair? Who is the more important person in this relationship? Is it me? Is it you? Or is it God? So we are we being unfair to God? God's not necessarily being unfair to us. God can't be unjust. He's all perfect. He's all just. He's all merciful. So when we look at these things from our perspective, we're not looking at them the way God looks at them. You know, it's that, that scripture from Isaiah 55, which is, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thirst thoughts. And that's Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, I believe. So, and he comes on here to say, when the, someone virtuous turns from virtue to commit iniquity, he dies. Maybe he doesn't die immediately, a physical death. But what God is telling us here is that he dies an eternal death. It is because of his, the iniquity he has committed that he must die. So God is saying, do you want eternal life? For eternal death. But then he goes back on in here again and he says, but if he turns from his wickedness, that is, does he have repentance? Repentance is that word that in Greek it's the metanoia, and I don't remember the Hebrew right off the top of my head, but it's that turning around of our mind, a turning around of our thought processes, a turning around of our actions to go from what is wrong to what is right. But if he turns to them and does what is just, he shall preserve his life. Preserve his life for all eternity. Since he has turned away from his sins that he has committed, he shall surely live and shall not die. 
God is telling us that this is what we're called to. We're called to a life of repentance. And what we'll see in the gospel is that of the two sons, one of them was repentant and did what God asked. I'm going to look at the uh, responsorial psalm for just a second. The response is, remember your mercies, O Lord. Be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Isn't that what the, the publican said, the tax collector said in the, in the uh, temple? It's, uh, but it's the first few verses here, four and five, and in verse 25, are so telling. It says, your ways, O Lord, make known to me. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. Psalm 27, verse 11 through 14 puts it another way. Yahweh, teach me your way. Lead me in the path of integrity because of my enemies. I Do not abandon me to the will of my foes. False witnesses have risen against me and are breathing out violence. This I believe I shall see the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Put your hope in Yahweh. Be strong. Let your heart be bold. And then again in Psalm 119, verse 35, guide me in the way of your commandments, for my delight is there. Do you really delight in what God has to say to you? Or do you go that bit, Dad, Dad, Father, Dad, you're being so unfair to me. Jesus puts it another way in, in John 16, or pardon me, 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one can come to the Father except through me. So what God is telling us here is that uh, through this psalm is that we have to follow the way he leads out for us, what he has for us to do. We can't do it in a, any other way. And it's, it's so un, unnecessary for us to turn our backs to God. It may be building our ego, but it's not doing what God has asked us to do. I'm going to skip over the second reading for just a minute and I, and because it, it's very important. <clears throat> and it builds upon uh, one of the thoughts that I have about the gospel. Now, the gospel is the parable of the man with the two sons that he sent to the vineyard. Now, we're going to have one more vineyard uh, parable that we'll be studying next week. But remember, if last week, the parable was about the, the, the vineyard owner who went down and hired day laborers to work in his vineyard. And today, we're going to be t- seeing where he, the vineyard owner asks his son to work in the vineyard. And you have to remember, too, that this, this particular parable was spoken after Jesus had entered in Jerusalem triumphantly on that first Palm Sunday. Uh, and it's also, uh, in a sense, the, the first of the parables that talks about Israel's rejection of Jesus as Messiah. So let's look at this a little bit. And it opens up with, what is your opinion? So he's talking to the chief priests and the elders of the people. What do you think? How do you judge this? A man had two sons. He said to the first, he came and said to the first and said, son, go out to the vineyard, uh, go out and work in the vineyard today. He said in reply, I will not. The man came to the other son and said the same order, gave the same order. He said in reply, yes, sir, but he did not go. So then Jesus asked a key, key, key question. Which of these two did the, the, father, the father's will? Okay, so let's look again at what we have here. Like I say, in the, the parable of the that we had last week, 
the vineyard owner went out and he hired people at the place where he could get day laborers. And so they all went out. A thought I had about this particular parable that we're looking at here is maybe uh, one son said, thought, you know, this is beneath me. Dad go, Dad can go out and he can hire as many people as he wants to work in the vineyard. Why do I want to do that? And uh, it's, it's interesting uh, to look at that from that perspective that I, I'm better than these day laborers. Why do I need to go out there? Why should I be working in the vineyard uh, if, if, uh, if my father could go and hire people to do that work? This is beneath me. But Jesus tells us in John 15, uh, 1, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So what, we're, what we see in that is that the father, the father is the vine dresser. The father is the one who owns the vineyard. What the father is doing in this parable for us is asking us whether we're willing to go out and work in the vineyard. He may say, I know I have people that that's their primary job or their vocation. I have priests. I have brothers. I have nuns. I have people who are professional evangelists and professional ministers. But I'm asking you to go out and to tend the vines along with them. Do it for me, son. Do it for me, daughter. And so what what we have then is that an opportunity to do something for the father that maybe is special to him. Now, we look at this and we, we see the attitude of the first son maybe that. The second son is, I don't know, maybe trying to placate his father. He says, I'm going to do that, and he doesn't do it. We can look at this and we can also compare these two sons to the two sons in the parable of the prodigal son. The first son is, I'm out of here, Dad. I'm not going to do any of this. But he comes back and comes back to the father, maybe for selfish reasons, but he comes back. The second son is there and he is, he is dutiful and does all these things, but he, he wishes that he weren't there. So that you've got... It's your your attitude. What is your attitude when God calls you to do something? And I'm going to use a series of scriptures now to talk about uh, what I really believe we need to think about in this particular thing. And they're, they're going to be maybe disjointed to you. But the first one is from Psalm 40, verses 6 and 7. Right before this, it, it this verse before this talks about you open my ear. And the uh, the note in my Bible says that it really is talking about digging it out. So get the wax out of the ear so you can hear what God is saying. And then it, here it says in verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 40, You wanted no sacrifice or cereal offering, but you gave me an open ear. You did not ask for burnt offering or sacrifice for sin. Then I said, Here I am. I am coming. So that what, what we see so frequently in the Old Testament in particular is that same thought, that our best sacrifice that we could give God is obedience. Because let's face it, folks, when when God asks us to do something, it may be a sacrifice on our part to do it because we have to give up the things that we want to do. We have to maybe give up the lifestyle that we're living. We may have to look foolish to some of the people that we're around. And then again, I'm going to talk about Psalm, pardon me, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. And this is key. And and if you remember correctly, Saul had gone out 
and gotten the king of Amalek. And he came back. And when he came back, he had not put everything under the ban. He took, he killed a lot of the sheep and the oxen and the people, but he brought back what he thought were the best animals to offer and sacrifice for God. And then he also brought back the king of Amalek with him, rather than killing him as he was ordered to do. And Samuel said, I'll be there later and I'll offer a sacrifice for you. And Samuel did not did not come when Saul expected it. And so Saul went ahead and did what he did. And in response to that, Samuel said, is Yahweh pleased by burnt offerings and sacrifices or by obedience to Yahweh's voice? Truly, obedience is better than sacrifice, submissiveness to the fat of rams. You can offer all the sacrifices you want to God, but what he really wants is your obedience. So in Hosea 6, 6, it says, for faithful love is what pleases me, not sacrifice, knowledge of God, not burnt offerings. And in the New Jerusalem Bible, the note says, Hosea asserts that only the only valid sacrifice is a sincere, sincere, sincere conversion, repentance in other words. And we're supposed to have that conversion daily. Uh, it's not something that's once and done. It's something that's continual, a continual conversion, a continual turning away from the things of the past. And then he goes on to say, go ahead and look at uh, Hosea 21 and 22, uh, 1 Samuel 22, which talks about Psalm 40, verse 6 and 7, and Amos 5, 21, uh, and the note that's there. And again, Jesus, in, in that same general area in the Last Supper discourse that he had, uh, in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. You will tell me, do what I ask you to do. And so there's this whole concept of obedience is one that is very key to our life as a Christian. If we're going to follow God and follow Jesus' footsteps, we need to be obedient as he was obedient. And I'm going to read from James chapter 1, verses 20 to 25. It says, God's saving justice, which is sometimes called his righteousness, is never served by human anger. So do away with all impurities and remnants of evil. Hum, humbly welcome the word which is planted in you, in which you and which can save your souls. But you must do what the word tells you and not just listen to it and deceive yourselves. Anyone who listens to the word and takes no action is like someone who looks at his own features in a mirror and once he has seen what he looks like, goes off and immediately forgets. But anyone who looks steadily at the perfect law of freedom and keeps it, not listening and forgetting, but putting it into practice, will be blessed in every undertaking. So it's more than just hearing what is said, it's carrying out, because the whole concept uh, of the Jewish concept was that it, the, the Shema, the listening, is to listen intelligently, which is to do what the word tells you. So what this passage in, in Matthew is trying to tell us is that it is incumbent upon us to carry out what is said. It's also saying something pretty, pretty interesting here because the first son, son said no. He repented and came back and did the father's will. The second son said yes and went off and did his own thing. So so God is telling us with that really that, that we may object initially to doing what God tells us to do but it's what we do in the end. Uh, 
So we, we have to understand what, what Jesus is trying to tell us here. And when he asks, which did, of the two did the Father's will? These religious, uh, these leaders of the Jewish people said, the first, the one who said no and did yes, rather than the one that said yes and did no. So, and Jesus said to them, a man, I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven before you. Okay, now you have to remember that prostitutes and tax collectors were the scum of Jewish society. Prostitutes because of the life they lived, tax collectors because they were working for the Roman captors and skimming money off the top for themselves. So Jesus is telling these folks, you know, here you are. You think you're so good. Uh, and and here you are, and you're not doing what I ha- what I told you to do. You're not doing what my father wants. And if you look at Luke seven twenty nine and thirty, it says, "All the people who heard him, and the tax collectors too, acknowledged God's saving justice, God's righteousness, by accepting baptism from John, but by refusing baptism from him, the Pharisees and the Lords thwarted." God's plan for them. God wanted them to be as repentant as those folks that they thought were the most terrible sinners that were. And remember, we're going to talk again a little bit about the parable of the Pharisee and the and the tax collector in the temple. The Pharisee kept telling God how great he was. Look, look, God, I've got all these things I'm doing for you. I know all the law. I I can I can I can check off and show you my checklist that I've done them all. And uh, I'm doing all these physical things, and I'm doing it for you. <clears throat> and the, the tax collector doesn't even look up to heaven. He says, be merciful to me, to God, for I am a sinner. And that's the attitude that Jesus is wanting to have with us. He says, amen, I say, to, okay, when John came to you in the way of righteousness, you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. That's that passage in Luke 7 that we looked at. Even when you saw that, you did not change. Your, even, excuse me, let me go back. Even when you saw that, you did not later change your minds and believe him. You didn't do what the first son did. You Even after you had a chance to think about what was there, you didn't reconsider. You just went off doing your own thing. So God is, Jesus is telling us here that what happens. And if we look at Matthew 7, 21, we can see even more what he's talking about. And this is early in Jesus's uh, uh, ministry. He says, it is not anyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the person who's, who does the will of my father in heaven. It is not anyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the person who does the will of my Father in heaven. God, Jesus is saying it's obedience to the word of God that will get you into the kingdom of heaven, both here on earth and in, and in, and in eternity. And you have to remember, too, that the message that both John the Baptist re- preached and what Jesus preached is repent for the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. You can find John the Baptist's rendition of that in Matthew 3, 2, and Jesus' first sermon, his first teaching of the people in Matthew 4, 17. Now, 
What we see here, too, is that both sons made a snap decision. And both appear to have a change of heart. Neither son had their hearts, their thoughts, and their actions aligned. Neither son was humble enough initially, and only one became humble. Which leads us to the second reading. Which is the reading from Philippians chapter 1, or pardon me, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Brothers and sisters, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any solace in love, any participation in the Spirit, any compassion and mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. If there's any encouragement, do you, are you, any, have ever been in a situation where you wanted encouragement? Paul is telling us that there's encouragement in doing this. And do nothing out of selfishness or vainglory. Rather, humble and regard others as more important than yourselves, each looking not to his own interest, but for the interests of others. And so, a couple of uh, passages there. If, and this is Romans 12, 10, if brotherly love, pardon me, in brotherly love, let your feelings of deep affection for one another come to expression and regard others as more important than yourselves. Humble yourself. Uh, and then what the passage that I read so frequently is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You do that by being obedient, don't you? Which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the world that says you're supposed to be the most important and everybody's supposed to serve you. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Repent, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Change your mind so that you can hear what God has to say to you and, and be obedient to what he has to say to you. So, Paul goes on and says, you know, he says, do nothing out of selfishness or out of vainglory. Don't do anything to jack yourself up in the eyes of others. Do what is right. Have the same attitude as that in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. And the, a note on this verse uh, is, is uh, from the Jerusalem Bible says, this is a reference, oh, pardon me, this is Adam sought illegitimately to be God, like God, Jesus humbled himself. So Adam in the garden was trying to make himself like God. They listened to the devil there, the serpent, to that they would become like God themselves. And that didn't work out so well for them or for this, us either. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness. So, Again, the note on that particular verse says it's a reference to the suffering servant songs, which are in Isaiah 52, verse 13, through Isaiah 53, verse 12, which contain the same movement of exaltation through humiliation. So it's through being humble that God can lift us up. I want to 
Make sure that you understand this. He said, rather, he emptied himself and took the form of the slave. Slave. And found in human appearances. So what what the, all these scriptures are really telling us is that we need to humble ourselves enough. And we can go on through the, <coughs> pardon me, we can go on through the rest of this, these verses here. And what we will see is that the, the message seems to be that sometimes we have to really humble ourselves to be obedient. It's We have to lay down what we want, what we're trying to accomplish, what our agenda is, so that we can be obedient. And we need to be, although it's good to be obedient from the very beginning, it's better to be obedient in the end. It Our human nature is such that frequently we don't really want to be the obedient servant. We don't want to be the obedient son or daughter. We want to have our way. We want to have our fun. We think that somebody else should be doing the job while we sit back and relax, enjoy, see what's going on, and rejoice with everybody else at the great things that are being done in the name of God around the world. Well, God is calling us to have a participation in that. God is asking us to go out into his vineyard, which is the world, and to help tend the vines along with the people that maybe are there. The other thing we're hearing here is that although the, 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 uh, we may think that we're in first place, like the Pharisees and the, and, and the, tax, uh, the elders and the chief priests, that we're more important and we're in a holier position. But what Jesus is telling us is it's that person that lays down his life, particularly lays down his old life and becomes one with him and changes his life, turns his life around and becomes obedient to God in all things that it can happen, you know, and, and Jesus has told us, for men, these things are impossible. For God, all things are possible. And he told Paul in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, I believe it's verse 10. Uh, it's, uh, I've got the exact wording, but basically it's, you know, my, I'm more powerful than all this. My strength is displayed most in its weakness. And in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 3, uh, 123, he talks about that his strength is stronger, his weakness is stronger than human strength. Think about these things this week and bless you and hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for being a participant in listening to this podcast. Uh, we will continue the Vineyard uh, podcast next week. Thank you so much. God bless.